To say that really loud to cover the fact that I'm turning off <laughs> the Casio. <laughs> very sneaky about it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Vertigo Voices. Uh, we are talking Vertigo comics all day, every fucking day. We are 87.3% sure we are Spokane's only comic book podcast. Yeah, it's pretty... Pretty good number there. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know anyone who does a podcast. At least not anyone in town. I know not people about, online. Yeah. Not about comic books. Oh, this is Colby, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm Colby. <laughs> and I'm Sophia. <laughs> if you're just joining us, welcome. Or uh, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Yeah. I'm surprised we haven't scared you away yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like I had some news today. I can't remember now. I did the casting thing. There was something else I was going to fucking talk about, but I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I have... Have you been reading anything good lately? Ah. Well, now that you mention it, uh, I reread Black Orchid, which we will oh, talk about. Oh, nice. Yeah. The original about. miniseries or the whole series? The miniseries. Okay. Yeah. Um, which we will talk about more in this episode. I'm also in the process of reading... Um, what am I on? I don't even know what I'm on now. I can't, this is bad. I can't remember the name of the book, but when we uh, did our episode on the comic book hall. Mm, yeah. And the mystery uh, box, the mystery box. Yes. My favorite episode because I just got a <laughs> metric ton of new comic books. Ah, this is bad. The art is really cool. That's all I can say. What's it about? <laughs> What's give me something here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, Oh, you just talked about it in the last episode. Flinch. Um, not flinch. Human target. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the the one that ties in, the one that ties in with Sandman. Love Street. No, um, Scarab, Scarab, Scarab. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, do you have the whole thing? Nope. Oh, so I really reading. don't know yeah. what led to the. I've, I've got the one with the uh, the fetus. Fetus, yeah. Fetus okay. Fetus cover is really good. <laughs> All right. I'm enjoying that it. One specific issue. Yeah. <laughs> And in light of uh, the uh, <laughs> the craziness that was the Snyder Cut, I recently reread The Death of Superman. Oh, nice. And that made me feel good in my soul. <laughs> I haven't read that since I was a kid. And I've been, like, itching to reread the entire thing. Like, Death and Return, you know? Yeah. Because I, I have Death of Superman, and then there was, like, an interim called World Without a Superman. And then there was another graphic novel called The Return of Superman. Right. And it, like, I'd like to read that entire fucking thing in one sitting, and God knows when I'll be able to do that. <laughs> oh, are you? Um, what, what, what? They had, of course, the individual yeah. issues. Um, issues too. Um, did that fall under the return of Superman? All of like, you know, John Henry and Superboy. Yeah, and... that was during like the reign of Superman, which is, I think in the collected is is a part of the return. Yeah. So if you get a chance to read those, those are a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, that's also one of my favorite video games of all time. Yeah. For Super Nintendo, they made this, uh, I think it was for Sega Genesis 2. I don't know. They made a game called The Death and Return of Superman. Oh. And the box art was like Doomsday's fist going through the Superman logo, all tearing it up and shit. And it's a really direct adaptation of the comic. Like, you start as Superman fighting those war world refugees in the, in the sewers and they even, like they even look the same. <laughs> like you fight the dude with like the the fucking shafts of bone on his face. Hey. And then you fight Doomsday. And then after Superman gets killed, then you play a level as each of the new Supermen, like uh, 
Eradicator going into Cadmus to to take Doomsday's body, and then um, oh. Superboy. Wait, was it Eradicator? No, Cyborg going into yeah, Cadmus. Oh, cy- yeah, that's right. Then Eradicator, then then uh, Superboy. Then you play as John Henry Irons uh, Steel. I guess that's before he was called Steel, fighting his way through Machine City. And then when Superman gets resurrected, then you play as him for the end of the game. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a really really cool game and really like fun. You know, side scrolling beat 'em up. It was pretty hard, though, because, I mean, you're Superman, but you can still take damage from just people punching you. <laughs> yeah. But the thing I loved about it as a kid is that it was all comic book inspired. Like, it wasn't a fucking, oh, you have Superman and make him, I don't know, fight a dragon or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, it would directly follow the comic, and it, even the, the character designs were from that as well. And that was a huge comic as a kid, so it was just cool to see that on the screen. They played it out and honored it well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of the old Suicide Squad, John Ostrander, just because of excitement for the new movie. Yay! <laughs> so I, I, I have the complete run of Suicide Squad now. Tracked down the last couple issues recently, so I have the complete run. And then I started reading it, and the first technical issue is a secret origin of the Suicide Squad. They reading, reading through that. And the first issue, there's constant callbacks to, like, remember the first time we got together during the Legends event? I'm like, fuck! This is technically a sequel to another series. (laughs) So back in the 80s, DC had this storyline called Legends that reintroduced the status quo after Crisis on Infinite Earths. So it, like, reintroduced Darkseid trying to take over the fucking universe. And so go look at all these superheroes. Maybe I'll make them look stupid. And that'll get the people to turn against them. And then the Earth will be easier to take over. Whatever. Um, so that that spawned the Suicide Squad, and like they're in there um, doing their own thing, and it reintroduced Captain Marvel. Like in that, uh, Billy Batson and Shazam and all that, they're like new characters in the DC universe. And uh, it was a fun little read. It's also by John Ostrander. It feels pretty dated, and there's a ton of tie-in issues that weren't in the graphic novel that I got. <laughs> so like, be like, oh yeah, well Superman got captured by Darkseid. Like, what in the fuck did that happen? That <laughs> was between these two issues. Like, okay. So it's not the complete story, but whatever, it's good enough. Now I can understand what's going on in the first few issues of Suicide Squad. Okay. But the first, I think the first two issues of Suicide Squad, where they go up against this other super team from the Middle East, has some just amazingly well done action plotting. Like, there's a whole part where... Deadshot gets tasked with taking out this dude named Manticore, who's like a super being, and he lives in the bottom of a uh, elevator shaft. And the Deadshot's just like climbing the shaft, like, how the fuck am I going to kill this guy? And he's like, uh. And so he shoots the elevator car, and it crashes down. And the way it's laid out, it's like two panels of the car. You see the car crash into Manticore, and he just flies through it <laughs> up at Deadshot, who's been trying to shoot him as he's jumping up towards him. And it's just it's plotted just beautifully, really well done. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm only a few issues into the core Suicide Squad. I think I'm only like five or six issues in. I'm excited to see how that story plays out. Your spirit will be ready for when the movie comes out. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Don't need to rewatch the original movie. I can just read the comics. Exactly. Yeah. Like you said, there's other things you can do in life. And then, um, I guess my other news, I have another, you ready for this? Another edition of Colby's Got Issues. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! So many issues. <laughs> Cut out that little part there. <laughs> so 
So, um, <laughs> this is our new series, Colby's Got Issues, where I talk about uh, new series that I've completed, or miniseries or whatever. So I've got a couple here. Um, this one I have not read yet, and again, it's taken me a while to collect. It's called My Faith in Frankie by Mike Carey, Sonny Liu, and Mark Hempel. Okay. Don't know anything about it. It's got a weird kind of cartoony style. It does. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's comedy. I don't know if it's a drama. I don't know what the story is here. I think this is the artist on The Kindly Ones. The last, second to last volume of Sandman. Let me double check that because it's going to look like a real tit if it's not. Kindly Ones. Fucking artist! <laughs> Mark Hempel! Aha! Right. You were. Anyway, um, it's uh, it's yeah, it's got an interesting looking style, and I'm curious to read that. What does the top say? What's the... A, uh, a jealous god or a boyfriend back from the dead? Who would you choose? Oh boy. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Apparently, it's kind of jealous god and a boyfriend back from the dead. <laughs> it's uh, fucking my boyfriend's back. <laughs> gotta have my faith in Frankie. <laughs> hey la, hey la. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then the other series that I recently collected, this is another mini-series called uh, Death, Time of Your Life. One of the death spin-off stories by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yes. Um, I've read this one before. I actually read this uh, when I was young at the library. This is the fr- I actually read this before I read Death, High Cost of Living. And this is technically a sequel to the Sandman story, um, A Game of You. It follows Foxglove and Barbie and those characters. Oh, okay. I think Barbie's in this one. Maybe she's just talked about it. I don't remember. But yeah, I haven't read it since I first read it back in middle school. So I'm excited to dig back into that one eventually. Excellent. Okay. It's a fun story. Well, it's not fun, but it's uh, it's an interesting story. You've got some interesting series laid out there. I remember the first time I read this, there's a whole part of the end. I think Thessaly's in it, the witch. Oh, yeah? I think. I think it's her. And there's a whole thing about like having to do a sacrifice to summon death and they need blood and... They, like, have this little thing of blood. They're like, you think it's going to work? It's period blood. And then the kid was like, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> they said the P word. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but the fact that it's just so, like, nonchalantly laid out, you know, like, who the fuck cares, man? <laughs> <laughs> you use what you got. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you have some very compelling issues, Colby. Yeah. I have issues. <laughs> Every day, more and more issues just <laughs> piling up. Well, yours are at least well illustrated. Yeah, and I, I try to keep my issues in working order. Right. <laughs> like, and show off my issues. <laughs> or go through them. <laughs> with, with self-awareness and tact. <laughs> it never hurts to take stock of one's issues. It really doesn't. <laughs> Oh. Is that joke done? Are we, are we, is that gonna? <laughs> I can't promise it won't come back <laughs> up in the future. <laughs> I can't tell if it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about Vertigo stories that have not been adapted that we think should. It's gonna be a good time. TV or movie or whatever. I originally was just thinking for TV, but then the more I get into it, like some of these are pretty self-contained stories and wouldn't work for like long form, right. <laughs> but might make a decent movie or miniseries or whatever. I don't know. Here, here. So on that note, I don't know. What, what's, what's the first? What do you want? Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? 
Who's talking first? <laughs> Should we paper, rock, scissors? Uh, you go first. Okay. Yours. <laughs> All right. Um, I would like to do an honorable mention first. I would like to see, it can be, it can be, a, it can be a series, it can be a movie, I don't care. I need someone out there in the film world to do an adaptation of Shade the Changing Man for no other reason than aesthetic purposes. I want to see those clothes. I want his costumes to be tangible. I want, uh, too bad, um, what's her name? Uh, she did the costumes for uh, The Fall and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Colleen Atwood. No, I yeah. <laughs> is um, she a writer? Wait, is she a writer? <laughs> she might be, but she's also a costume designer. Okay, that is one thing. <laughs> yeah. um, um, I'm going to mispronounce her name, so I apologize to all of you know, all or any of our Japanese listeners out there. Uh, Iko Ishioka. Sure. Um, anyway, like if she were still alive, she would do an awesome job with that. But I would also like Ruth Carter, the costume designer for Black Panther. Um, someone just please make a Shave the Changing Man movie so I can uh, uh, know that those clothes are real. It's not a movie, but have you seen the change, Shave the Changing Man animated short? I have not. Oh, so wow. we talked about this a few weeks ago um, when DC used to have this little segment of cartoons on Cartoon Network called DC Nation. They would do shorts. They did a Shave the Changing Man short. And it was really interesting and weird, and it kind of made you, kind of like let you see the madness that he sees in the world. That's awesome. And it was really well done. And uh, again, you get to you get to see some of his crazy coats and the weird colors of uh, shade that you're talking about. The aesthetics are just fantastic. Yeah. So it was kind of adapted, not live action though. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take that until <laughs> the uh, live action comes along. So that is an honorable mention, but my first jump, and I think the time is right for this. I do, because its issues are still uh, vital and pertinent to what we're going through now. Um, someone please make Transmetropolitan Transmet. That was on my list, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would love to see a Transmetropolitan adaptation, but kind of adapted a bit. Like, not, not, not a direct, here's the story, here's what, it, you know, like, I, I'd like to see it more tailored to modern day uh, issues or sensibilities or whatever. Mm -hmm. And granted, that's not, that, that, that sounds like, oh, it needs to change, but it really doesn't. There's not a whole lot that would need to change. Because yeah, no. <laughs> it, it's a direct reflection of the, the time that it was written in, which is the early 90s. Actually, I take that back, more mid to late 90s to the early 2000s, which we're still dealing with the same shit back then. It's just different. And I feel like that would have been absolutely vital a couple years ago <laughs> like deep into the trump presidency who you know they they could have had a fucking field day with that had they adapted that into a tv show in like 2016 2017 they could have nowadays again those same those same issues are still there it's just not slapping you in the face every 30 seconds <laughs> <laughs> blasting out loud on twitter yeah fucking <laughs> God. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think Spider Jerusalem's voice would be great to hear about today's issues. I do too, absolutely. And you could still couch it in the same way that they did then. Like you know, there's a whole transhumanist movement in the comic, which um, is an obvious allegory for um, trans rights in modern the modern world. And so that you know, you could still do stuff like that. Just I think you could be clearer in the message now. Probably. You wouldn't need as much. You wouldn't need as much subtext. 
You wouldn't. No, it'd be, I feel like it would be pretty straightforward. Yeah. Especially for television. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in the mid-90s to early 2000s, you couldn't sh- have a show like this on TV. No. The only stations that would allow it, you know, like HBO or whatever, you wouldn't be able to do the budget needed for that. Right. Nowadays, you could, you could squeak out this show on fucking HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a streaming, any streaming service could do this show. And uh, most cable, you could put this on FX. Right. And now is a good time. They've got the money for the uh, special effects, you know, yeah. the sets. I think it would be, I think it would be a blast. So who would you cast for Spider-Jerusalem? Um, you know, actually, I uh, was thinking um, Jason Statham, just because of his, uh, the audacity that. that he brought to the role of Crank. Yeah, I could see that. I think he's, well, I don't know. I have no idea how the fuck, how old he is. He's got to be like 50, right? Yeah, which I think is about a, a good age for Spider Jerusalem. Yeah, I suppose so. And he's still he's still a physical dude. He's fifty three. I guess I could see that. That was totally not on my radar, but that's uh, it's not bad. What's your suggestion? I don't know. Every time, I mean, just looking at Spider Jerusalem, I see Grant Morrison. <laughs> yeah. Which I've been I've been reading the series proper now because we've been talking about reading it forever. So I finally started getting back into it and reading it. And it's interesting to me that he starts off in that first issue as Alan Moore and then turns into Grant Morrison. <laughs> Which I think is an interesting comment on maybe comics in the 90s. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, he does go through kind of that metamorphosis. Yeah, he's just, he's just such a, uh, a standout character. And the other thing about this, this series that I think would lend itself really well to... Um, to television is that um, all of like the stuff we're talking about in terms of uh, the issues that this comic book deals with, like themes of transhumanism and cor- you know, political corruption, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> importance of uh, watchdog journalism. Yeah. That's all very relevant and very important. But at the same time, this, this series is just like beer and Skittles. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's such a, bla- like spider Jerusalem is just someone who, uh, uh, lives very balls to the wall and he's got a great sense of humor. Like, even though like some of the stuff he does, you're like, Oh my God, why would you do that? Like you're still laughing at it. Yeah, exactly. He's a total dickhead, but not to the point that you can't enjoy him. Right. And like, there's that, I think it's the fourth or fifth issue. There's just an entire issue of him watching TV. Mm -hmm. It's literally just him (laughs) plopped in front of the couch, watching TV, trying not to let the ads get to him too much. And he ends up ordering a new pair of shoes just because he needs them. And that's that you could say so much about modern intake of media as well as organizations like Amazon. Like there's a whole thing about how he gets uh, he orders shoes so that they can be there within like the next five minutes or something. Mm. Like there, there's a, this is a very like precognitive comic book in a lot of ways. And so that's what I mean when I say that it wouldn't take a whole lot of adapting to, to make it work, but I still think that some of those things that are just under the ish or under the surface should be fully at the surface. Right. And uh, I hope it's, uh, I, there's been talk about making it into a movie like forever. Yeah. And since ever. like the late nineties. <laughs> yeah. But basically I think both Warren Ellis and uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Derek, Derek Robertson. Robertson. Yeah. 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 Both of them have last I heard, they were like, Nope, not happening. Not, yeah. you know, so Patrick Stewart was trying to get it made for a long time because um, he's a huge fan of the comic. He actually wrote the f- introduction to the first volume. Oh, yeah. And uh, he wasn't going to star or anything, even though he would, you know, like shave off 20 years. And that's kind of what he looks like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, 
he wanted to produce it with his production company. And then there was talk of an animated series or movie or something that Stuart wanted to then voice the character. Oh. I think that would have been cool. That would have been cool, yeah. There was a rumor floating around, too, that um, uh, Ellis and Robertson wanted Tim Roth to play the character, but I think it was Robertson who... uh, I think he finally, like, and that rumor still is going yeah. around, but I think it was Robertson who was like, no, we never talked about that. Not going to happen. Yeah. And that was kind of like the last word on the subject as far as I know. Yeah, I, th- I think Tim Roth would have been great. He would have. Yeah, I agree too. Um, so maybe someday, I mean, it, it's ripe. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's always going to be kind of ripe, though. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Until we as a society start dealing with our issues in a meaningful way, which, when's that going to fucking happen? Right, right. <laughs> we've been, we've been like, you know, turning our head and be like, eh, I don't see any problem with this for like, what, 250 years? It's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. No, this is a, that's how we want it to be. House is burning down. It's fine. Uh, just ripe in terms of finally being able to, like you said, show the things that this series depicts on an adult level and have the budget to back it up. Yeah. So that's my first pick. My first one is not going to be any surprise, but Terminal City. <laughs> yes. I would love to see like Studio Ghibli-style Terminal City. Oh, that'd be fun. Or like Leica Studios that did um, Paranorman. Okay. And... Uh, the other uh, Missing Link. Have you ever seen Missing Link? No. It's fucking amazing. It stars Hugh Jackman and Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> and it's about this explorer, adventurer. Oh, and Timothy Oliphant's in it too. Um, this like explorer adventurer who's trying to find uh, the, the Sasquatch, like Missing Link. And he does. <laughs> and he's voiced by Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> I think somebody else famous is in it. Zoe Saldana is in it. That's right. Oh, Stephen Fry's in it. Look at that. Oh, cool. Anyway, um, I I would just love to see their style of something like this because I love the optics and the design of Terminal City so much that I would almost hate to see it in live action. <laughs> like, I, I'd prefer to see just... I, I, I wouldn't want to see anything compromised hmm. in the way that this world looked. And I think the only way to not compromise is to have it be CGI or animated or whatever. I think that would be really awesome to see more so than in live action. That's a good point. Yeah, I think it uh, would lend itself really well to those mediums. Yeah. So yeah, Terminal City, I'd love to see, you know, Cosmo Quinn and fucking Kid Gloves. <laughs> just uh, BB, all those characters. And, and, and I think that would be fun too, is just to have this weird cycle of characters. You know, like check in with this dude for five minutes and this person for five minutes and have like a, the camera just kind of zooming around the city all the time catching little uh, snippets of their uh, conversations and life and everything and see how it all ties together in the end or something like that. That would be a good show. I would watch that. So anyway, I'm working on the script right now. Yes. I'm going to shop it around. Uh, if somebody can get me uh, Miyazaki on the phone, <laughs> I can pitch it to him. Yes, please. <laughs> but yeah, lend, lend us your networking, dear people. I would like to see that. I think that is a good idea. Because, the, like you said, there's so much of that comic book that, you know, you could try to create through live sets, but it'd be really hard. Yeah. And especially recently with, like, Amazon's adaptation of Invincible, of how perfectly that captures the look and the style of the comic while still making it fluid and 3D and lived in, quote. Like, I think, I think now would be a perfect time for something like this. Okay. Terminal City. 
Another good idea. All right, yours. What's next? All right. Next, um, another obvious one, but again, I think it's time. Uh, Neil Gaiman's and Dave McKean's adaptation of Black Orchid. Yeah. Character was created in 1970s. Sure. <laughs> I'm looking at you, comic book historian. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. <laughs> I've only read... So I've read the Game of McKean, and then I think I've read the first five, six issues of the ongoing Vertigo series. Yeah. So I'm not that well acquainted with the character, but... 1973, she's okay. created. All right. And the, uh, the cool thing about adapting this character is that... Um, you know, she's not, uh, uh, she's kind of like Christopher Chance of Human Target in that uh, she's very, uh, what's the thing? Oh, we're, we're looking at the wiki page right now. Um, she, apparently she was going to appear in an episode of Constantine before the show was canceled. Damn it. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bring back Constantine. Um, that's another episode. Um, and I think... I, th I think she's one of those characters that even though she's not in the public conscious in, in the terms of the popularity of, you know, Wonder Woman or yeah. Batman, um, she's been around for a long time. She's been very fluid. It hasn't always been the same person. Yeah. So that lends itself well to, you know, casting newcomers or not being necessarily dependent on a, a big name. Yeah. Um, There's and, a lot you could do with it, too. There is. There is. And what I really like about this miniseries is that, first of all, it's beautiful. Like, Dave yeah. McKean's art is just thickin' gorgeous. I've been, have you seen the movie he directed, Mirror Mask? No. I've been wanting to, like, talk about that because it's not based on anything. Um, but McKean wrote it and directed it, and it's got his fucking style throughout it. Really? And um, it's one of those, like... Could I tie that into Vertigo somehow? <laughs> I think we should. I watched it with my daughter not too long ago, like probably two years ago. She was really into it too. That sounds like cool. it would be gorgeous to look at. I have the DVD. Surprise. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to watch that one then. Uh, because I think his aesthetic is just, again, lovely. And that's um, something I think you could easily show in live action now. Um, when I was rereading the miniseries recently... Um, there was uh, certain things about it that actually reminded me of the cinematography in um, Annihilation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? You could totally, you could transfer that to film and yeah. make it look really amazing. Fuck, I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> really good movie. Yeah. <laughs> call, I think the, well, who was the cinematographer on that? I don't know. Rob Hardy. Rob Hardy. Anyway, yeah, someone call Rob Hardy and get him on that. And the cool, and also about this uh, uh, book, if you're not familiar with Black Orchid, it brings the characters, the two main characters, Flora and Susie, in contact with a lot of comic book characters you do know, yep. like Batman and Swamp Thing, and uh, oh, Lex Luthor is one of the main bad guys. And again, it's like it's one of those books that, uh, for people out there who sometimes tell me that, you know, oh, the comic book world is overwhelming, I don't know where to start, I don't know anything about this character, you don't have to read the vast majority of these characters, you don't have to start with their very first appearance and you know, read all the way up to catch you up to date. Like, this is a mini-series. There's only three books. It's just well-told, beautifully written, and uh, beautifully illustrated. Have uh, you ever heard of uh, Gaiman? I, I can't remember the story specifically. I'm looking it up right now. I think it was when he was trying to, like, pitch the book to DC. He had told them, like, yeah, I've, uh, I'd like to bring back Black Orchid or something like that. And the executive goes... 
Who's Black Hawk Kid? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was Karen Berger. She, oh, okay. His accent was so thick yeah. that she Black was Black like, Orchid. Yeah. Um, and like apparently Black Orchid uh, was on the bottom of their list. Like yeah. he, him and uh, Dave McKean had all these other books they wanted to work on, like Swamp Thing and Arrow. I'm sure you've heard those projects were already parceled out to other writers. And Black Orchid is kind of cool in the sense that when they got done with it, uh, the higher-ups at DC wanted to hold off because they're like, it's a female superhero. It, it won't sell that well. It'll be commercially unsuccessful. And it really kind of turned out to be the the uh, one of Gaiman's early works yeah. that helped put him on the map. Wikipedia specifically says, Black Orchid was a commercial success. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. If Wikipedia says it, it must be true. <laughs> um, Don, Don Markstein. Mark Stein, Mark Stein, said that while the series did not make Black Orchid a household name, it helped expose her to many readers. The series has never been out of print since its initial publication. There you go. So if you get a chance to pick it up, people, uh, give it a read and see what I'm talking about, because I would... Uh, and I think that's one that could easily be turned into a movie. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a miniseries, but... Uh, I can't help but notice, though, that you failed to mention that the character was already perfectly adapted in the film Justice League Dark. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of um, I totally forgot about that movie, honestly. <laughs> I remember sitting there watching it, and they're like, oh, uh, Black Orchid, yeah, it's the house of mystery, like, come to life or whatever. Like, what? <laughs> In the, have, you, have you ever watched the making of on, the, like, the Blu-ray or anything on that? I have not, no. They interview one of the producers or writers, I can't even remember who, they bring up Black Orchid, and he's like, yeah, you know, we looked into her past, and we're just like, this is confusing. There's like a lot of different pasts and histories. And like, we can pretty much just do whatever we want with her. Let's just make her a new character. I'm like, you fucking dick. <laughs> you lazy ass. Yeah. Um, on that subject, Justice League Dark. I had to watch that movie three times because I kept falling asleep. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it's a goddamn mess. It is. <laughs> people really like it, which is weird to me. That one and its sequel, Apocalypse War. Like, people really like both of those. Apocalypse Oh, go ahead. Pardon me. I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. I've. I actually. I rarely write reviews on Letterboxd, but like Apocalypse War. Like as soon as I finish it, I was like, I gotta write a review about this. <laughs> I, like Jesus Christ! Does nobody see what they're doing here? This is just Endgame. It's just the last two Marvel movies, but with more swearing and gore. Right. <laughs> it's the same fucking story. And again, lazier, yeah. much lazier. It implies that John Constantine's been having sex with King Shark, who <laughs> is like a simpleton in that. Like, so can he even consent? Like, right. did you did you think about that joke before you said it out loud? Like, that's fucking weird. That is weird. Like, Constantine is just one day like, I'm going to fuck a shark. <laughs> I'm going to fuck that shark. <laughs> yeah, say your name, shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, what's your second pick? My second pick is just John Constantine fucking a shark for two hours. <laughs> just that, nonstop. Um... <laughs> In different scenarios. <laughs> anyway, um, my second pick is Flinch. Oh. Which we briefly touched on last episode. So Flinch was an anthology comic in the late 90s. And it was horror, like short horror stories. Each issue had like, what, three or four stories? And just intense gross, weird horror. Right. <laughs> and it, it, in the spirit of like Twilight Zone or Outer, Outer Limits or something like that. And I feel like today needs something like that. 
it would be a blast to watch, I think. And mm. all the um, like the Halloween oriented, even though this you know this doesn't have anything really to do with Halloween, but just in terms of horror and all of the anthologies that uh, have already been made, like a oh trick or treat and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like yeah, like you said, now is the time. Yeah, HBO used to have a couple of. Uh, anthology series. I guess not just HBO. Um, there was, uh, like, Showtime had Masters of Horror. Yeah, that's right. Um, HBO had, I think, one in the 90s called Perversions of Science. It was like a sci-fi horror comedy show. And I think something like Flinch would be really adaptable. You could you could adapt some of the stories in here. You could make new ones that tie into the theme or um, get comic creators to work on them, things like that. The first issue... The first story in it is called Rocket Man. And I remember reading that and just being blown away because it's such a cool story about this dude who builds a jetpack in his in his garage. And the art's by Jim Lee in that story. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, wow. they, they, they got some really great art. Like, uh, I'm looking at it right now. Richard Corbin. And, so the first issue, the artists were Jim Lee, Frank Quitely, Richard Corbin. Ta-da. Like three fucking legends. <laughs> right. Second issue, art Bill Sinkovich. Pat McEwen, I don't know. Eduardo Rizzo, we talked about him earlier. Third issue, Kelly Jones, Marcelo Frugin, Kiernan Dreyer. Um, you know, again, like these, these are all really well-known artists. And the writers, too. Uh, like Dean Modder did a story in the second issue, the creator of, uh, of what we were just fucking talking about. <laughs> Terminal City. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Azzarello, also. Garth Ennis has a story in the third issue. So uh, you get some of them. But anyway, going back, the first story this guy that builds a rocket like jetpack in his garage and it's all about him talking about how he wants to do this and for his family and show how cool he is and his family gathers around while he sets it off and shows him shoot off into the sky as he's flying he's so happy and then it like, cuts back to like the smoldering wreckage of his house as the uh, firefighters are like spraying it down like what happened like i don't know some guy like built a bomb in his uh in his in his garage and blew up and killed him and his family like Poor son of a bitch. Yeah, I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> the end! <laughs> Just that, like, Twilight Zone-style rug pull. Right. And there's a lot of that in the series, and I think it would be fucking awesome to, uh, to do that. And then they had amazing covers also. We talked about the cover of the first issue just yesterday. We didn't really describe it. It's a pale dude making little, like, surgery marks all over his face of what looks like he's going to be doing some elective surgery to himself soon. Right, right. <laughs> and he's got, like, what do they call the forcep on yeah. the bottom of one eye? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really creepy. Does he have a scalpel in his mouth? I can't even remember now. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. But uh, it's a great image, and I don't think any of those stories actually actually play into that image. But regardless... <laughs> it's enough to pull you in. Yeah. Alex Ross did the cover for the ninth issue. Oh. Hey! Look at that. Beautiful Vic. Edwin Bukovic did a uh, cover for issue 10. So anyway, it's, it's a great, this is, this is one of those like, what's the word? One of those like hidden gems of Vertigo to me. Mm-hmm. Because you can always tell somebody that like really, is really into to Vertigo as a quote genre or whatever, if they know what Flinch is. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what, again, what makes it so great is that you can, you don't have to read these in order. You can yeah, drop in exactly. on any one and yeah. have a fantastic time. Yeah, three, it looks like, so there's three stories per issue. You can grab any one of those and, and read any of those uh, issues. It's like issue two has a story called Maggie and Her Microscope. I almost read, read that as micropenis because apparently I've got little dicks on the brain <laughs> these last few weeks. 
Colby has really, really uh, uh, touched a nerve with that community. <laughs> I would just appreciate it if the picketing outside my apartment could stop. Because <laughs> I said my apologies. I don't know what else you people want <clears throat> other than bigger dicks. <laughs> He's had to log off Twitter from all the hateful comments. <laughs> Just let's, you know, I mean, be the bigger man. Not literally, but just um, <laughs> move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's what's yours? What's your next one? <laughs> I was just going to be like, what were we talking about again? Oh, dear. My last but not least for me. Um, oh, you're already done? Well, you know, I I was trying to rein it in because I... got I, like 10 more. <laughs> Well, I can talk ad nauseum about these, so, but you know, we can continue. Um, but the big one for me, I would like to see uh, an adaptation, not, of course, the, uh, the, the first or the most important, but I actually think turning this into a series would be better than the book, and that is um, American Vampire. Uh-huh. I don't know anything about this story. You gave me a few issues of it, and I have not touched them yet. Well, someday we're going to have to talk about that one. It's it's not bad, it, but for me it was very frustrating. If you're an American Vampire fan and you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but there's just a lot about this book that um, I felt like, uh, uh, for lack of a better description, gave me the reader equivalent of blue balls. Um, I, I clicked on American Vampire and it brought up a wrestler. Oh. John Layfield, the American Vampire. Oh. Well. <laughs> Learn something new today. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Not familiar with his work. Um, but anyway, the comic book was created by Scott Snyder. Stephen King wrote a few episodes. And uh, it tells the story of um, how American vampires were made in uh, the Old West in the late 19th century. It's about this, uh, uh, the first American vampire being this former outlaw named Skinner Sweet. And in the very first book, he meets this young woman in the 1920s named Pearl Jones in Hollywood and uh, saves her when she is attacked by this secret coven of vampires and turns her into a vampire. Um, There's a lot to like about this book, but at the same time, um, I think I gave you uh, issues one through five. And that's not where this series ends. I, I'm pretty sure that it uh, transferred to uh, DC's Black Label. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's still going, right? Yeah. They just uh, uh, have a new, whatever, storyline, volume, what the fuck ever it's called, going right now. There you go. the name of it. It's one of the fittest. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm looking it up right now, and I can't find it. it like you said, it, it goes on and on and on. Um, and I'm not sure if the if the newer series still features Skinner Sweet. Um, it's called American Vampire, but it has a subtitle that again is not showing up here. That's fucking weird. That is weird. It's very strange. Um, but anyhow, I really like vampire stories. I do, and. Um, I, when people say that they're sick of them, okay, I understand if it's not your particular subgenre. Um, but there's so many opportunities within that subgenre to tell interesting stories. And American Vampire, on its face, is an interesting story. I just don't think that the concept was executed particularly well yeah. in uh, 
books one through five. And I'm pretty sure it is one through five. And folks, if you're listening to this, and again, you're a huge American vampire fan, and you're like, Sophia, you just don't understand. You need to stick with the book to see the rest of the payoff. And okay, maybe I need to do that. But the characters are are interesting. Pearl Jones, interesting character. Skinner Sweet. Uh, I like the idea. It kind of uh, plays into, um, oh, when we were arguing about uh, uh, good vampire movies, and it is a good vampire movie. Um, of course, I can't remember the name. Daybreakers. Nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> Near Dark. Near Dark. Yeah, Near yeah, Dark. Yeah. It uh, kind of pays homage to that a little bit in the sense of, you know, these are uh, Wild West American vampires. Um, they're not the aristocratic blue bloods that yeah, we've been yeah. used to seeing. It's just that I don't feel like the book itself earns its particular ending. And I don't mean to spoil it for you, um, but the whole concept is built around Skinner Sweet turning Pearl Jones into a vampire and how she adapts to being the supernatural creature. And then the first couple issues, you get this backstory on Skinner Sweet. But then to me, the comic just kind of goes off the rails and gives you backstory on a lot of characters that you really don't give a shit about. Yeah, I fucking hate that. <laughs> me too. Oh, me too. Because then the most frustrating thing for me is like the very final issue is Skinner Sweet and Pearl Jones meeting up again. And the writers try to play it off like they have this really, um, this dense, complicated relationship that goes back years and years and years when like basically he, he turns her into a vampire and it's the uh, supernatural form of wham bam thank you ma'am like he turns her into a vampire and is like good luck kid and then he disappears see ya yeah uh so this emotional arc that they're going for with the characters i don't feel like it was earned in fact it was so jarring to me that i like i had to go back and look at the numbers <laughs> of the books and be like did i read that in the right order did i read all of them so i know i just spent like five minutes bashing the book but i think there's possibilities for that within a series where you could address those issues and not pay so much attention, again, to characters that, like, whatever. You know, we don't yeah. see them again. We don't care about them. Develop this interesting dynamic between um, this vampire and his protege. So, I would watch it. Yeah. Makes sense. That would be... So, like, like the idea that the you could take the characters and dig in a little bit more with them. It reminds me... Um... Christ, what show was I just thinking of? It reminds me of a show. <laughs> um, just the the idea of of taking what what like worked in the comic and then focusing on that, cutting away the shit that didn't. Right, exactly. And some of the art, um, not all the art is really great, um, but there are some very striking horror images. Like it opens up with Pearl. You think that she's dead, but she's just barely alive. She's been attacked by by vampires, and they took her out in the Hollywood Hills somewhere and like threw her in a ditch with other young starlets. There's a great image where uh, she goes to this famous Hollywood producer's party and she thinks that she's going to get an introduction um, with him from this other big name actor and it turns out they're just basically using her for food. There's some really good horror imagery in it. It just it has all this buildup and then it just kind of fizzles out on you. It's, uh, have you ever seen uh, What We Do in the Shadows, the show? Yes. You remember, uh, what's her name? The main female vampire. His name, I can't remember. The Beast? No. no. The, the main character. The fuck is her name? I don't know, whatever. Um, when she describes the name Jeff as being like 
a weak ejaculation. She goes, eh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> well, you feel like you're building up to something really epic and wonderful, and then you're like, ah. So. Have you ever read New Deadwardians? I have not. It's another Vertigo book. For, it's from like 2012, I think. Yeah. And it's like the Edwardian era um, vampires and zombies, like class di- dividing. It's cool. like a story about about that, like it, the context of British class divisions, but through the lens of vampires and zombies and regular humans. That would be great. Yeah. It's really interesting. I read it when it was new, but it's uh, just what, when you're talking about American vampire, it made me think of that. So it's like British vampire, British American vampire. <laughs> So, you know, I, I would like to read that because, again, like American Vampire has opportunities to explore that because uh, there's a great scene in um, Skinner Sweet's origin story where he wasn't supposed to be turned into a vampire. Like he runs into this aristocratic British vampire in, on this train that he and his gang are robbing yeah. and um, the vampire like rips his throat out and accidentally gets some of his own blood on Skinner, which turns him into a vampire. And so there's all this cool stuff you could do with the fact that this really... Um, like hobo looking, uh, you know, just uh, rowdy outlaw is now among the ranks of these uh, well-heeled uh, upper crust European vampires that we're used to seeing, but they really don't do anything with that. Nice. So if someone adapts it into a movie, please do something with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll do one more of mine then. Um... And then, like I said, I've got a bunch more, so maybe we should do this as a two-parter. That'd be fun. Come up with some others. Yeah. So my next one would be Pride of Baghdad. Did oh. you ever read that? No, but it's been on my list for a long time because I really like Brian K. Vaughan. Yeah, it was written by Brian K. Vaughan, art by Nico Henriken. Henriken, sure. Loosely based on a true story about uh, some lions that were released during the Iraq War. I can't remember if like their enclosure got bombed or if they were let out or what, but it's just these lions trying to survive in a, a war zone. Oh, and really? It's a part Disney story because it's like you're listening to the animals talk to each other. So it's like a little bit of a Disney story, part like you know uh, the horrors of war type story, part family drama, part everything, and it's it's. If you're an animal lover, it's fairly gut-wrenching. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you know the true story behind it, then it kind of spoils the ending. But it's a really, really interesting story. And it would be it would be cool to see that as like an animated movie, again, in kind of the Disney style, but just with, with like the horror and oppression of the real world in, <laughs> in there. <laughs> Very adult concepts. Yeah, exactly. Rem- remind, rem- would remind me of something like Watership Down. Oh, I would love that. Of like a, like an animated story that's very adult and human, I guess, but through the lens of animals. That would be fantastic. Yeah. I'd I watch that. I read this when it was new. I haven't read it since. I think I just recently got a copy of it when my friend Bear gave me a bunch of Vertigo books. I think this was one of them. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really cool cool story, and again, not for the faint of heart. I will. I would like to read that. I, when I first read it, it was at the library in I think, I think it was here actually. No, it couldn't have been here because it was new when I read it. So I I think it was at the library in Bozeman, but uh, I believe I was given a copy recently. I'll have to double check. 
I got a lot of comics recently. I'm still trying to sort through my issues. <laughs> figure out all my issues. Address them. But it's so much fun working through your issues. Yeah. Categorize my issues. <laughs> Which is more than what most people do. So, yeah. Hey. Because, <laughs> see, like, I've got a lot more. That, like, 100 Bullets, Orbiter, We Three, Doctor Occult, Gifts of the Night, I Die at Midnight, Mobfire, Prez. <laughs> we Three, 100 Bullets. That was, yeah, I was thinking about putting that on my list, too. We'll have to talk about it more next time. Yeah, just on that note, like, We Three, speaking of stories about animals that wrench your heart. <laughs> we talked about this a while back. Like, you told me about that, and I was like, I was so you know, just silly and blase. Like, oh, I, I grew up on a farm. I've seen animals die. <laughs> and by the end of that comic book, I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> there were adult tears. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, good book too. Yeah. I was going to talk about Doctor 13 also, but I forgot to put it on the list. Doctor 13. Doctor 13 was a DC character that was like a doctor of the, not a doctor of the occult, like a, uh, oh, geez, an investigator of the occult. Okay. And the thing was, he, they called him the Ghost Breaker because he didn't believe in the occult. And he was always in situations where he would have to prove that something didn't exist. But of course, he'd always be, end up meeting a ghost or whatever. <laughs> and on, on, on Wikipedia, it says under his abilities, his skepticism makes him somewhat resistant to magical effects. <laughs> <laughs> That's my superpower. <laughs> like, how do they know? No. But he, Dr. 13 actually shows up in um, Books of Magic. Oh, really? The first volume. Okay. Yeah. And um, he had his own Vertigo Visions, like, spinoff story, like a one-shot. And he, I think he appears here and there. I think he was in Seven Soldiers of Victory. And he has a daughter named Tracy 13, who is on Young Justice. Oh. Which I still need to uh, get down with. But yeah, Books of Magic, that's another one that we're going to have to eventually talk about. Yeah. I finally, I have the entirety of Books of Magic. From the first Neil Gaiman story all the way to Life During Wartime. Like the entire fucking <laughs> Names of Magic, Hunter in the Age of Magic, fucking uh, Doctor, uh, Mr. E spinoff, the Trenchcoat Brigade spinoff, fucking Books of Fairy, Molly's story, Books of Fairy, Oberon's Tale, the original Books of Fairy. I fucking got it all now. Children's Brigade, or Ch- Children's Crusade. Um... <laughs> Arcana, the Books of Magic, <laughs> Free Country, the Redone Children's Crusade. Good Lord. Yeah, got it all. <laughs> so I'd like to eventually go through that. <laughs> he has this victorious glint in his eyes, dear listeners. <laughs> but I don't think any of that would particularly be well adapted right now. At least I wouldn't be able to think up a way to, to really adapt it well. No, no. It's so fucking big. And again, I mean, you could you could do it easily. You just do fucking Harry Potter, but make him say fuck every once in a while. <laughs> but that's what I'd be afraid of, is that... I mean, granted, you don't have to know the origins of every single piece of media that comes out. That's impossible. But I think so many people would be like, eh, it's just ripping off Harry Potter. Yeah. I actually... I've, I, I have a note about Books of Magic whenever we talk about it. It's just sitting on my phone in my... Uh, in my Vertigo notes. So we'll have to get to that eventually. Because okay. I'd like to I'd like to reread the original. I, I reread it about two years ago. When it was, yeah, whenever I did my Year Blazer. I put that in my Year Blazer run since Constantine's a big part of it. And I'd like to reread that again and dive into the main series as well. 
Well, stay tuned for that episode. And fuck, it's still going. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's a part of the Sandman Universe series that's still going. Well, there you go. Still has some chutzpah to it. If not, it was canceled recently. Let me check. Hellblazer Books of Magic, that's another one I have. <laughs> I guess the question is, which ones do you not have? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> got it all. I can't find it, it's still going, and I don't care. Oh, I got the Winter's Edge story. Yes. Books of Magic. Vertigo Ray, I've got that one too. Got all the annuals. <laughs> ah, here's, one, here's what I don't have yet. Did you know, probably to capitalize on Harry Potter, Books of Magic was adapted into a series of six novels? No. In the early 2000s. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, each one covers a story in the comic. Um, Invitation is the original Gaiman story. Bindings is the first volume of the comic. Children's Crusade is that story. And Consequences, Lost Places, and Reckonings. I think I have half of those. Need to get the rest. Who wrote, who wrote them? Um, uh, Carla Jablonski. Okay. I haven't read any of her stuff, but... They're fucking hard to find, too. Like... I uh, bought the ones that I have through third-party sellers through Amazon, and it's fucking impossible to search for them. Like, I can't su- search Books of Magic. It just gives me all the other shit, and you never get to these. Huh. And I searched on eBay. Couldn't find anyone selling them there. Wow. Um, so I've just been getting them piecemeal by searching Carla, Carla Jablonski and fucking sorting through her bibliography. And like, oh, volume one, do I have that one? I don't know. Maybe volume three. How about that one? <laughs> I wonder why they're so hard to come by. I don't know. I, I just don't think anyone really cared. Because they're not expensive. I'm getting them for like two bucks each or whatever. But uh, they're just, they're just yeah, people would prefer Harry Butthole Potter. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez>, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, yeah, we'll get back to adaptations next time. We're going to talk some more about this. I always like talking about a good adaptation. Here, here. Many possibilities. So, feel free to like and subscribe. Share the episode with your friends or whatever. Did I mention we're doing the end of the show stuff? Yeah, <laughs> Did I say that? Did you almost say share the issues? No, okay. I didn't. Right. I'm going to cut that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Follow on Twitter and Instagram, at Vertigo Voices and Vertigo Voices respectively. Or email us at the address, vertigovoices at gmail.com. And please leave a, a very uh, praising review and, uh, you know, send us love letters, hate mail. Getting a little tired of the hate mail, to be honest. <laughs> um, the, I mean, look, man, if I could make your dick grow, I would. Okay? <laughs> I promise. And he hasn't killed any cats. Yeah, that's, we're not even going to talk about that. <laughs> Oh, there's, so, look, I just looked it up. There's one of the volumes. Oh, hey, Books found it. Fuck me, that one's expensive. Oh, I already bought this one, though. <laughs> Thanks, Amazon. It tells me when I bought it. Ta-da. I was literally just about to run into my room and see which, if that was one that I had or not. Uh, there's Invitation. I don't know if I have that one. Paperback. Yeah, so you can get it used for $1.99. Oh, there you go. guess I don't have that one. Why was... Why? Why? Because it's a school binding edition. I don't know why that makes it more valuable. Jesus Lord. I would assume that that would make it less... You would think. Hmm. But yeah, it's like created by Neil Gaiman and John Bolton by Carla Jablonski. Yeah, I've, I've been wanting to like read through. I assume it would be an easy, quick read. I've already, I already know the story, the first volume, right? Right. Should be easy. If 
but I, I just I don't have time yet. So I've just been slowly collecting them whenever I think about it. I'm like, oh, I'll fucking read it in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do have lots of uh, lots of reading. Maybe I'll read it to my daughter when she gets a little older instead of Harry Potter. <laughs> every kid goes through the Harry Potter phase, right? Maybe yeah. I can transfer that to a Tim Hunter phase. <laughs> Bring her up right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, I'm just killing time, so I want to get to an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we at? 59, 42. But I'm also, there's going to be some editing in there, so it's going to be, I don't know. Did, is the windstorm still going on? Is it, is it tied down yet? <laughs> I'll take a peek outside. Looks pretty calm. <laughs> And almost there. Oh my and now we're in an hour. <laughs> yeah, thanks for staying with us. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week when we continue this. Farewell. Goodbye.